Today we begin our series on Exodus. We're excited about this series. For those of you who, again, are joining us for the first time or have joined us recently, uh, about a year ago we went through the entire book of Genesis. This is difficult for me to summarize the entire book of Genesis, but I wish I could do that for you, as you will see that the Exodus is really a continuation of that story, and we're going to invite you to um, take a listen to those messages if you feel so inclined, and that will give you a sense of the stories that have led us this far. As we enter into this series on Exodus, how many of you have actually seen Gods and Kings? Okay, not too many of us. There's a couple things that happen whenever Bible stories make their way to the cinema, Bible stories making their way to the media. And this is a kind of a nice example of that. Uh, Christians, religious people, Bible scholars, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to point out all the inaccuracies of the media and how they've gotten things wrong. Um, personally, I like not only these kinds of movies, which I haven't actually seen yet, but I like these kinds of movies that get things wrong. These are the kinds of movies that make me very, Moses very happy. went to the mountain, and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing. Uh, Garnish. Uh, forget it. Oh, Lord! Why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Wow. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these fifteen... <laughs> ten! Ten commandments for all to obey! Wasn't quite sure how many of you have seen that. It's a classic. I've showed it here before. I apologize if it's redundant. I just can't get over it. I mean, Mel Brooks's depiction is absolutely fantastic. Like I said, Bible scholar, right? There weren't three tablets. I think you can point that out and just make sure that, you know, we, we get that right. When we come to the story of Exodus and we come to these Bible stories, and especially when these stories make the media, there's some immediate responses and reactions that happen to all of us, me included. All of us are a part of this. And what I would call these things are simply distractions. And I'll explain a little bit more of what I mean by that. Today's talk isn't necessarily going to be a teaching from the book of Exodus. I would like to lay some foundations and give you a little bit of an introduction as to what it is that we're going to be journeying through for a fairly lengthy period of time. Exodus is a 40-chapter book, and there's quite a bit in there. So um, as part of that introduction, I'd like for us to become aware that because Exodus, gods and kings, and, you know, the classic Ten Commandments uh, with Charlton Heston is in our minds and in our thinking, and um, there's also other kinds of media that happen, there are some distractions that naturally come to us and are existent in our culture as a result of it being through the media. Uh, for example, these are the Ten Plagues 
that happened. Well, nine, and then, of course, I don't know why they didn't want to show the tenth one, the killing of all the sons of Egypt. That would, you know, I, how do you put that in a cartoon anyway? Um, there are people that have done extensive work to try to figure out exactly from a scientific and natural perspective how one particular event, such as the Nile turning into blood, could have caused this changing of the frogs, which could have caused the development of the gnats. And they have strung together very intricate theories as to how all of these things can take place. And so when we see or when we hear about the plagues that happen in the book of Exodus, our immediate thought is, how exactly did it happen? Or sometimes many of us can get distracted on the, uh, the literal or the natural history of things. There's some theories going around about the parting of the Red Sea, which we're going to get to later on. Spoiler alert, it's not the Red Sea. That's actually a typo in your Bibles. It's actually the Sea of Reeds. And it was named the Red Sea later on because an E dropped out and then it stuck ever since. But anyway, sorry, you're going to get a lot of that through this series. <laughs> but there are some intricate theories, some fantastic theories that I've heard about how did the parting of the Red Sea happen. For example, for those of you who remember in recent history, whenever there's a tsunami that happens, what's the first thing that happens to the shoreline? It goes out to sea. So some people have suggested that the eruption of Vesuvius all the way in Italy traveled through the Mediterranean, and thus, as a result of that eruption and earthquake, that's how it parted. And it was at the exact time that the Israelites showed right up at the shore, um, and all of these things. I'm terribly sorry to say this. You are also going to get consistent news reports of people saying they have found the wheels to the chariot underneath the Red Sea. They found a pharaoh's skull. We have the sword of the Egyptians that have fallen into the Red Sea. And I'm <sighs> sorry, they didn't. I hope I'm not upsetting you terribly. These are, again, what I would say, distractions. There's an entire movie and film out that you can see actually on the History Channel uh, about all of these things. The reason why I call them distractions is because what God is doing and the biblical authors are doing in these texts is much bigger, much more beautiful, much more profound, much deeper commentary about who you are as a human being, the power structures that exist in this world, justice, oppression, chaos, and order. All of those things are told through these stories. And oftentimes when I hear about people talking about these stories of the ancient texts, we talk about all of these kinds of distractions. Well, did it really happen and it didn't happen? If you go to work tomorrow and you're having casual conversation with a coworker and you tell them, oh, our church is going through a study or our next teaching series is through the book of Exodus, I, I have a feeling some of your coworkers, as a result of the History Channel and other things, are going to say, you don't really believe those stories, do you? I mean, come on, parting of a Red Sea, hundreds of thousands of people living in a desert for 40 years. Like, come on, is this real? All those plagues, you know. And this is the kinds of conversation that we're going to have. Now, before I move too far away from that, I want to tell you there actually is some fantastic archaeology and history and study to be done around this book. I'm not saying that there isn't. Some of those things are fabrications. Some of them are just misleading but there actually are some really good historical things 
that are happening. This is the actual mummy of Ramses II in the Egyptian museum. It's, a, it's amazing. You can see his face. You can see his fe- uh, features. And I remember standing there over this mummy, thousands of years old, thinking to myself, this is the guy. Like, that's him. Like, you talked to Moses. Like, how was that for you? Like, I, I, you know, I, I kind of want to engage in conversation. This exists. This is a stella called the Merneptah stella. It's one of the oldest archaeological finds that we have for the name of Israel. For the name of Israel. On an Egyptian stone. Now, these are just two examples. There's a lot more. So, there's tons and tons and tons to study here. Um, I think an announcement is going to be made later by Danielle. We actually have an amazing team of people that have met at our house and are going through some of these materials, and they're going to be working with us on these sermons and these teachings to provide supplemental uh, study materials, places and areas where you get to go deeper into the study. I've mentioned two of them. I hope I didn't steal it from them, but I mentioned two things where you can actually take the study deeper and then to do some more reflection. So I want to say before we move on to what I think is not a distraction, when you hear about the ancient history, when you hear about all of those things like, well, did that really happen? Or did we find Pharaoh's chariot, you know, the wheels down at the bottom of the Red Sea? My hope is that you have a sense of calm regarding that kind of engagement. There really are amazing things, some historical geography, some places, names, etc., that are really important to to our story, and those are things that we're hopefully going to illuminate throughout this series. But there's something much bigger that all of this stuff points to that I'd like for us to kind of set the foundation for as we head into this book. These books, these writings, Genesis, Exodus, even Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they haven't existed this long because they were boring. They don't exist as holy books that we carry around in nice bonded leather because they were confusing and irritating texts that we just had There is something deeply profound about these texts. So much so that we have in our House of Representatives a depiction of Moses as one of the primary lawmakers. I don't know if you've ever taken a tour of the Capitol. For those of you who've studied U.S. history, of course, you know about this. What's fascinating is that he is there at the center of the North Wall as the primary figure and one of the first lawmakers And he exists as a result of this story from the book of Exodus in our House of Representatives, a place that we are governed by today. Why? Because he came down off the mountain with two tablets. It's one of my favorite images. What's fascinating, and I hope this illustrates a little bit of the depth and the importance of this, is that if you take a look at all of the other pictures that are also depicted, which include um, Greek philosophers, other Jewish philosophers. It actually includes a Babylonian king, Hammurabi. He's also on the wall. But if you notice, every single one of those faces is turned. And the only one that's facing forward is Moses. 
And if you take a look at the wall, all of them are turned towards Moses, who is the center-facing one who faces the person that's standing in front. This, to me, illustrates a little bit, or at least is an analogy to, these stories that we have, the laws that have been given, the thinking behind how peoples should be governed, how nations should be built, is front and center to our House of Representatives. And if we get distracted by the supernatural, the miraculous, did this happen in Pharaoh's chariot wheel, we may be missing something much more profound about humanity and about the worldview that these books are trying to share with us. So, for example, while I appreciate that Moses looks quite wise, he looks quite austere, he looks um, manly, uh, he looks like he's large and in charge, if you read the story carefully, that is not who Moses is. In fact, this would have been a better picture to put on the wall of Moses. Wimpy kid. And you can come up with some additional examples. So that's an example of how these stories speak deeply. Why? No raising of hands. How many of you ever have felt like a wimp, a wuss, a coward, crazy because, wait, uh, God is calling me to do something? And not only that, you have flatly denied that voice and gone a different direction. And even throughout, continue to make excuses for why you shouldn't be doing what it is that you should be doing. Why it is that you can't fulfill your calling, your, the thing that God has for you. That story, that beautiful illustration of humanity, the insecurity and the self-esteem of each and every one of us is brilliantly illustrated in Exodus 2 and 3. And if we just get caught up in, well, did that bush really burn? I mean, where's the butane? I mean, what, what happened there? We may be missing some of those stories. So tonight what I want to do is just simply lay this simple foundation. Exodus is another chapter, essentially, in one big story with very, very big themes that is inviting all of us to join in this story. Let me say that again. This is really important in my, in my thinking. Exodus, the story of Exodus, and each individual stories within the book of Exodus are additional chapters in one big story that God is doing from Genesis 1-1, and it's not just a story to be told. It's actually inviting all of you, all of us, to come and participate in this story. Let me see if I can share with you some, some of the ways in which to think about this. There's, there's many ways to do so. If you read Genesis, which we did um, throughout the entire year of 2013 and a little bit of 2014, you can summarize the book of Genesis by saying this is a story of creation and covenant. What God is doing is creating the entire world out of nothing, with his voice, with his love, with his care. And that creation that God has created, that put together, fashioned with his love and his care, he has decided that it's not just going to be a thing separate from him, but it's going to be a beautiful entity of which God enters into a beautiful relationship. 
And so you and I are not just creatures, but we're in covenant with. We are created and in covenant with this amazing, beautiful God. Now, reading Genesis will share with you and illuminate tons of drama, lots of sex, lots of murder, lots of indiscretion, lots of lying, lots of things that really shouldn't be happening. And God is still working and trying desperately to keep this covenant strong. When we move to the book of Exodus, we start to see that as God has established those things between us and between him, now there's a problem between you and you. Now there's a problem between you and you. Now there's a problem between this nation and this nation. Now there's a problem that exists amongst us. And so Exodus continues the story of trying to establish creation and covenant, but now bring it down here and home. And the focus, of course, is on liberation. And the second thing with Exodus is formation. We're going to get to that in a second. That not only is what God trying to do with uh, the people is to establish rules of order, worldviews for how nations should work and behave, justice, chaos to order, how that all should work out. It's also the question of once you've been liberated, once you've been freed, once you've had your exodus out of Egypt, you're crossing over the Red Sea, your time in Sinai and entered into the promised land, once you've had all of these experiences, what do you do? How do you build a nation? How do you create a new identity? That's brilliant for those of you who have worked with uh, any sort of injustice, people that have been incarcerated or people that have uh, had unfortunate dysfunctional families and stuff like that, once you come out of those, you realize that that's a whole other skill set to try to develop a whole new set of identity and purpose and how to live and function because the world that you've only known has been incarceration or enslavement. So Exodus is just fraught with all of these themes and all of these ideas. And it's just a continuation of those stories. What are those big themes? Oppression, suffering, injustice, corruption, cowardice. We mentioned that with Moses. Salvation, moral will. Do you have the moral will to do what it takes to continue on what God has started through creation? The recreation. You're going to see in this Exodus series constant pinging back to Genesis. A constant, hey, remember what we talked about in Genesis? Yeah, that's now being redone in this Exodus story. Redemption. Hope, this amazing word that pushes us into the future, gives us a sense that what is to come is secure. The power of God over the, power, over the powers of the world and chaos and order. These are all huge themes that are found in the book of Exodus and a continuation of the book of Genesis that we will miss if we get distracted with all of those other themes. I would suggest to you, that Genesis and Exodus are really simply the same story. Do not miss it. I, I, I apologize if I'm being too overt in this. The Bible has been constructed with all these verses and chapters, and that's wonderful in, a, in order for us to be able to find our way through. But the detriment has been that we have this perception that verses and passages can come out and live on their own. And those passages, those chapters, those verses never existed. This has all been one big string, uh, one big story, one big thing that God has been doing. Let me illustrate that for you with one particular text. 
from the book of Exodus. This is Exodus 1.1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. That's verse 1. Now, a couple things you need to notice. Number one, sons of Israel. Well, who's Israel? Uh, who went to Egypt? Why were they in Egypt uh, with Jacob? Who's Jacob? Oh, Israel. Okay. Um, each with his family. These are all resonances of chapters after chapters after chapters of what was happening in Genesis. So all of those stories are going to come into play. But the second thing, there's three things here. The second thing is that these are the names. And I'm going to get to this in a little bit, but names are important because names mean connection with family history. So the Exodus story starts off with a connection of family history. What's the lesson for us? You're sitting at, in a synagogue, Spark Church, January 4th, 2015. What in the world do these ancient texts have to do with us? Well, these people, whenever they read these stories, would have seen those names and go, that's my great-grandfather. That's, that, that, that's my great-uncle. Those are my ancestors. So it is with us. That piece of the puzzle reminds us and exhorts us to go, wait, those names that exist, Jacob, you know, Esau, and, and you go down all of the names, those are our ancestors. Those are our spiritual fathers and mothers, and we have inherited this story from them. So it starts off with that phraseology, these are the names. And then there's a third thing. That text actually doesn't start with the phrase, these are the names. In the original Hebrew, it starts off with the word, and these are the names. <laughs> Don't you love language? And. If you read Genesis chapter 50, and this, and that, and this, and that. In Exodus 1, 1, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. Now, I hope this isn't too, I'm reading too much into this. But this and, I think, is really important. Because this and isn't just a mathematical equation. It's a continuation. It is to remind you, it is there blaringly in the text. The text starts with the word and. In fact, if you're, you have a Bible, go ahead. Put a little carrot and write the word and right at the beginning of Exodus. And now we're continuing this story. It is to connect you with something that has happened from a long time ago. And it's inviting you to say, that story that is connecting to a past story, your story that you're living right now is connected to that story. These ands are really important. Um, it's almost as if there's another act to the same play that's been going on. I'm not quite sure if you get this, so let me see if I can help. <clears throat> um, there's another movie that has done this really well. And then the Empire made their conquest. <laughs> Back then, it was amazing. Joseph and all of his brothers, they reconciled him. But Joseph ended up being the king of... Do you hear it? Do you feel this? You see the scroll? Here's a, here's a clue. When you go home, grab your Bible, put on this music, and then tilt your Bible this way, and just start reading. Because what's so fantastic about this is that, you know, the Star Wars whole theme starts it 
you know, episode four. And I'm like, what happened before episode four? And then episode five is really, you know, disappointing. The Empire Strikes Back. And that whole scene ends with them, you know, in the spaceship staring off like, oh, okay, we just lost the Death Star. And that's the end of the movie. But then, you know, the return of the Jedi and then, okay, you, you guys get this. Stop. <laughs> this is the power of that and, in my opinion. The and says that at the very end of the story, Joseph is dead, and there's still some drama that's happening, and there's some drama that's happening at the very beginning of Exodus 2. But the and is there, and all throughout the text to say that is not the end of the story. What's the lesson for you? I would suggest this. Once again, some deep, uh, wonderful spiritual lessons. For you sitting in this room, whatever your last blank was, I'd like you to think about what is the thing that you think has brought your story to an end? You got laid off. You got divorced. You lost a loved one. You had a horrible breakup. You got yelled at by your boss. You failed at getting into that college that you wanted to get into. What is in that blank? Whatever your last blank was, is that the end of your story? And I would like to suggest to you that the power of this and is to say, that is never the end of your story. There's always more coming. And all of those big grand themes that God is writing and has been writing since the beginning of Genesis is waiting to be written once again. If we would just simply embrace the power of and. If, if there's one thing you take away today, I hope that you take away this just one word. And. Whatever your last blank was, your story is not over. Taking a look this is your story. Genesis is all about creation, your identity as a created being. And Genesis is also about how you are in deep, passionate, covenant relationship with the creator of yourself. Very unlike how engineers can have a relationship with their computers. Very, very different. Hopefully. This covenant, this community that God has created, that's also part of your story. And even though that's true, every single one of us in this room have, have experienced some sort of injustice, some sort of failing of the human spirit, some sort of fault in the human endeavor, some sort of systemic problem that we have been victims of. We have all experienced something like that. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. And we have been called, exhorted, invited into this story to lay out in our lives through the following of what this story has laid out a whole new sense of justice, Freedom, hope, peace, redemption, reconciliation, love, rescue, God's reputation, the resurrection, all of that, you are invited into. So between all of these things that these stories have told, you are invited. Because there's an and after all of it. And, 
and, and, and. Whatever it is, wherever your life has been, whatever you put in that blank, which was your last whatever, there's an and there. Just like at the beginning of the book of Exodus, and these are the names. The story is continuing. This is illustrated, I think, in some really beautiful ways with the title of the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus has had actually multiple titles throughout its history. One of those titles is the book of the departure or the leading out, which is where we get the word Exodus. There's an ancient Jewish uh, writer, uh, I shouldn't say ancient, there's a Jewish writer, I think, through the Middle Ages, who has suggested that the actual title of the book of Exodus should be the second fifth of the Torah which is a nice way of summing up that this is a continuation of the story. There's another distraction that happens with this title, Exodus. You and I are going to conclude that we think that this book is all about that great miraculous event of the people being led out of Egypt. Here's a problem. Half of the book of Exodus is after the Exodus, and one-third of the book of Exodus is an instruction manual that you might get in your Christmas box. You open it up, and there's that 15-page instruction manual for how to put that toy together that eventually isn't going to work. One-third of the book is instructions on the building of the tabernacle, which we're going to get to later on. So that's another possible distraction from the grand story. The original book, excuse me, the original title of the book of Exodus is actually, these are the names. These are the names. The Old Testament books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy actually take their titles from the opening lines of the text. And so the title of the book of Exodus is actually, these are the names. And the reason why this is important with all of the other things that I've said is because names in the Bible are deeply imbued with meaning it's not just an identifier, not just a title. It tells you who you are, it tells you who you're with, and it tells you who you are going to be. So those names as a list, we get caught up, and I totally understand, boring list of names and genealogies, who wants to read those? Ancient people would have read those and, and said, those are my people, those are my family members, these are who I am. And as a result of identifying myself with those people, I now have a foundation for understanding how my story is played out into the future. We're going to celebrate Passover very soon. Uh, we hope that you all come. It's a beautiful, wonderful event together. And we'll have some announcements of that, uh, about those events coming up. When we read through the Passover readings, you will notice that we don't say when they were slaves in Egypt. The entire script is when we were slaves in Egypt. These stories are communal, not just laterally, but longitudinally, meaning historically. And I'm hoping that you see that through just this introduction, you get to be a part of the story. So in addition to Genesis and Exodus being a part of the same story, through the and through the continuation, through these are the names, oh, those are my family members, I also hope that you see that you are also a part of this story. And that as these biblical writers are laying down their stories, some amazing, fantastical stories about the Red Sea, 
sea of reeds, about the Ten Commandments, about the tablets, about the manna in the desert, about all of these wonderful stories that we're going to get to. I hope that you start to see and connect all of those lessons about justice, about what's right and what's wrong, about rules of law, about morality, about how to build a nation, how to build a people, how to identify yourself with others. All of those things come into play for you, your family, your work, all of that. Do these stories matter? Yes, they matter because of all of those things that I've mentioned, because we have all experienced this, and I hope that you all begin to take in creation, covenant, then injustice, oppression, and salvation and liberation. All of us are involved in all of these things, and you are invited into this. Next week and the consecutive weeks, we're going to dig deep into these texts, these stories, uh, the principles that are there, the allusions back to Genesis and all of those wonderful lessons. And it is our hope and our prayer that as you join us and as you journey with us, you will begin to see your story match with that story. And you will begin to identify yourself and have a new passion and vision for how to live out salvation, liberation, creation, and covenant in your life. All of us have experienced injustice and oppression just like the Israelites. The freedom that happens and how that happens is a lesson for all of us. And the instructions for how to build the tabernacle and the creation of the nation that God is going to do is instructive to all of us for how we also ought to create and construct our lives through the rituals, through symbols, etc., etc. These are all deeply important things. I recognize that I didn't get much to the text of Exodus. This is just an introduction and I hope that you'll join us for the rest as we dig in next week, starting in verse 2, I guess now, into this uh, amazing story. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll conclude. God, thank you for your book and these texts. Thank you so much for the story that you've created for us. And it is my prayer, God, that as we engage deeply with this amazing book that has been handed down to us through thousands of years, May we embrace it with open arms and open minds and open hearts to learning something new about who you are, to discovering something new about ourselves, and to be impassioned and inspired again by the invitation to live out these principles of liberation and hope in this world. God, many of us in this room have friends and family and this community and uh, our surrounding um, circles just don't understand why this was important. God, illuminate for us and help us to see how deeply, desperately important and powerful these stories are. And may we embrace them with as much of our souls as possible and live them out with as much faith as we possibly can. By your grace and by your love, I pray in your name. Amen.